This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Today we are in Exodus chapter 18. We're in Exodus chapter 18, and this is like the midway mark in our journey. It's sort of, you go into chapter 18, and it sort of starts to, 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 to wrap up or, or, or become like a, a, a climax of, of everything that's happened up until this moment. And then it starts to set up everything that's going to happen after this moment, right? So this is a, a really important chapter um, that I'm super excited to go through, just even reading um, through it and prepping for it. So we're not going to stand and, 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 and read this morning, but what I will do is um, fly over and visit verses as we just talk through and just um, think about what the Lord is saying to us here as, as, as he leads us as his people. So if you'll look at Exodus chapter 18, verse 1, we'll get started. Verse 1, Jethro, the priest of Midian. Moses' father-in-law heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people. How the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. As we started in the book of Exodus, one of the things that we, we intentionally been saying and talking about how Exodus is about God making himself known through the deliverance of his people. It's about that God making himself known through the deliverance of his people. And, and, and who is he making himself known to? A, his people who, who haven't been in, in relationship with him for a while. They knew of him. They, 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 they heard of, of his, his attributes, but they haven't been in relationship. It's through this process that they even learn his name, right? But also he's making himself known to the nations. And, and we get a glimpse of that and, and, and a starting point of that when you see the, the, the confrontation that happens in, in Egypt as a nation and, and God is making himself known to them. And all while God is doing all this making of himself known, we also learned in the beginning that, well, behind the scenes, He's making himself known to spiritual forces of wickedness that were, that were building up these systems and structures that, that, we, that we saw in these nations. Things that was embodied in, 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 in Pharaoh with the systemic oppression of Israel and the, the guise of national security. These, these things are important to Israel. They're important to them as we understand as, as, as God brings Israel out of Egypt and he makes them into a nation. This understanding, this transitioning, this, everything that he's pulling them from is really important. They started off like 70-something people and now they're leaving out in the thousands and God is making them into a nation. A nation through whom he will continue to make himself known to the nations. Through systems and structures that he will set up that are a reflection of him. 
It's important as we go inside here and we think about Jethro, this priest of Midian, who, who hears, hears through the grapevine of what happened in Egypt. He wasn't there with them, but he hears through the grapevine. Now, now Egypt was a well-known world power. When I say a well-known, like the power of the time of the day, well-known. So, so word of their destruction spread quick. The, the God of the Israelite has become the talk of the nations. Just like God said he was going to do. He was making himself known. The nations are talking about him. And then we get to today and on our way here, on our way to traveling um, to, to, to today, right? Because the people of God are people that was on their way and on our, their way traveling today. There, there was two different kinds of responses that you, we, we're seeing from the nations. Last week, Pastor Josh was preaching and... and and as he was preaching, he talked about this encounter that happened with the Amalekites. How the Amalekites came up and, 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 and made war with them. They didn't do anything to the Amalekites. They, didn't, they, didn't, they, they came up and they made war. And I want to say this morning, I believe the Amalekites went to war with Israel just because Israel were the people of God. They were responding to things that they was hearing, the rumors. They had heard about the works of, of, of this God in Egypt and what he, had, what he had done, how God had judged Egypt. Now he's dismantled everything that Egypt worshipped, disrupting their lifestyles, the lifestyles that they prided themselves on. So when the people of God draws near, They fear that the Israelites, God, may judge them and disrupt their lifestyles. So they make a preemptive strike and, and they respond with war to, to just the idea of the people of God drawing near. And the reason why I want to just, 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 just make this point, because this is what I feel that happened, is because many people respond with hostility to the people of God because they fear the judgment of God. On the inside, on the inside, something about them, they, it, it fears the judgment of God. So, so the hostility wells up on the inside. This has been a historical reality regarding the oppression and persecution of the people of, 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 of God. The judgment of their God, if everything they're saying is true, God had judged Egypt. And now the Amalekites are on the defensive because they fear he will judge them as well. It's important because even today, even today there is a, a cultural hostility towards the people of God for the exact same reason. Where we live at, where, where we breathe that there is a, a, a cultural hostility because of the implications of the judgment of God. That he would seek to 
disrupt what people are so comfortable with. That he would seek to topple their idols, destroy them, just like he did in Egypt. So even today, many people respond just like the Amalekite. They respond with fear and on the defensive, hopes to oppress and even suppress God. But I don't want to talk this thing and talk as, yo, look at them over there. Because even as the people of God, we often respond the same way. Oftentimes, we're the ones responding with hostility when, when other brothers and sisters of God get too close into our business. We don't want them to say something that they better keep their mouths closed. But the, but the way, it, it doesn't feel like a preemptive strike, though, when we start acting like that or, or when others start acting like that. What it, it feels like, I'm just defending myself. That's what it feels like. It feels like I'm on the, I'm on the defense. And, and, and here's the reason why. Because the mere presence of the people of God, the mere presence of people who, who value the principles of the kingdom of God feels like an attack on those who don't value those principles. Paul, Paul, he explains it better in, in 2 Corinthians 2, verses 15 through 16. I'm going to show this in the NLT. He says this, Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. This fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. Thus, a defense and hostility that rises up. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. What do people do when they smell something good? When they're smelling something sweet or, 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 or you walk in and somebody is cooking up some of that good, good food and you smell it? What do they do? They, they, they draw near. They're like, yo, 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 who cooking that? <laughs> who cooking it up? They want to see. They want to draw a little bit, a little bit near. When, they, when, 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 when people smell the smell goods, they want to draw near and investigate. Today, we want to look at some of, of how Midian responds. We've seen how the Amalekites responds once Israel drew near. But today we want to look at what happens when, when, when the Midianites hear the, the rumors of our God. And the Midianite priest who happens to be Moses' father-in-law, he hears and he responds. And I want to look at that this morning and just, just, just let the Lord speak to us through what happens here. So if you look at Exodus 18 and 5, it reads this. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. He drew near. He drew near. He came. He, Jethro had a different response. Instead of acting out of 
fear and seeking to self-protect. Like, man, I know last time I seen Moses, he said he was going out, but things have been crazy, and I'm hearing these rumors. He draws near. He came close to investigate, sort of like Moses with the burning bush when he sees the flame and he sees the bush and the bush isn't being consumed. Instead of running, he draws near to investigate. And it just so happens that this is the exact same place where the whole burning bush incident happens. When Jethro goes out and he meets them right there at the mountain of God, at the exact same place. Why? Because of the smell test. Because of the smell test. And here's what I want to say. We were just talking about that a few minutes ago, right? But here's what I want to say. If it smells like God, draw near to God. We got to investigate that thing. Like, is that you, Lord? Let me get a little bit closer. Because some of us, is that you, Lord? Let me get a little bit further away, just in case it is you. I know how you do. So, Jethro, he grabs his daughter, the kids, and he head out. He's like, let's go find out what's going on here. I've been hearing these rumors through the grapevine. Now I'm hearing that, that the Israelite camp is by, uh, by this mountain and stuff. We're going to go out and we're going to meet them by the mountain because I got I to gotta find out what's really happening here. So he starts to get close to them. And as he gets close, he sends some runners out. And he said, yo, go let Moses know we're in town. Right? And he sends the runners out, and the runners go let him know. And, 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 and Moses comes out to meet him and stuff. And, and here's the interaction in, in Exodus 18, verses 7 through 9. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law, all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. And all the hardship that had come along, come upon them, even on the way. And how the Lord had delivered them. Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done. Back in Exodus 9 and 16, right? This was during the plagues, and there's this moment where the Lord is talking to Pharaoh. And when he's talking to Pharaoh, he, he, um, through Moses, what he basically says to Pharaoh is that, is that he was going to display his power through everything that's happened. And he had a reason. And that reason is so that his name would be proclaimed in all the earth. Thus, that his names would, would, would be proclaimed throughout, throughout the nations, right? Now, the Greek word that's translated as proclaim in 9 and 16 is the exact same Greek word that's translated as told in 18 and 8. Proclaiming. Exact same word. When Jethro... 
gets close, Moses starts proclaiming to Jethro the good news of all that God had done. Oh, you got to catch this moment. He starts proclaiming the good news. All that God has done and, and the Lord's name is being lifted up even right now to the nations. Oh, and if, 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 if I could just be a fly on the wall at that moment while, while Moses is talking to him because he made it personal. He didn't just, just say in general. He said, the Lord did all of this for our sakes, for us. It's like he said, Man, look at what God did for us. He did all this for us. You remember when it got dark? Y'all probably didn't know that was what was going on. That was the, that was the Lord. He was doing that for our sakes. Like you, the sea, he split the Red Sea. He did it for our sakes. Uh, we, we was looking at bodies floating on the sea. Pharaoh, he got killed. His, his, his army got destroyed. The, the firstborns, they died. He did it for our sake. If you could just get this, and he's talking to them, he says, look how he took care of us. Why he's talking to them, why he's, he's talking to them. Moses doesn't sugarcoat and just pretend that everything was all peaches and cream. Nah, he's like, and there was some hardships along the way, too. I mean, he's talking to his father-in-law. He's just pouring it out. There was some hardships along the way. Sometimes we didn't even know where we was going to get food from, but the Lord provided Sometimes we didn't know what we was going to drink. I had no idea. The people are nagging me, but the Lord provided. There was even this time where these random dudes just ran up on us and started to attack us. We didn't even do anything, but the Lord kept us. He delivered us again. He told them about the hardships and how the Lord had delivered them. Oh, and I can just picture Jethro sitting back listening and hearing it. He came to investigate the rumors, and he's listening. And he's hearing Moses' firsthand testimony of everything that's happened. He's listening to Moses proclaim the good news of all that God had done for them. How does the Midianite priest respond? Well, let's look at verse 9. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. He rejoiced. He rejoiced. He's hearing this, and he's like, what? And he rejoices. Just thinking about it, listening to Moses proclaim, Tim Chester, he says this, this is what mission is, the people of God proclaiming or telling in all the earth everything God has done. Oh, this is what it is. You, you see, some of us, we, we put, put way more stock into debating theological differences than, 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 than sharing our testimonies. 
Oh, some of us, we, we want to debate from this camp angle and that camp angle. And we want to debate for this and oh, I'm going to break it down like that. Way more than just giving our testimony of what God has done. You see, people can argue with your theological point to the left and to the right. And they do argue to the left and to the right. They do. Some things, to just be honest, we won't even be sure of until glory when Christ returns. So even when we, we argue those things, we got to argue with humility. I could be wrong. But one thing that we can be confident about that people can't debate with is our personal and collective experience with the Lord. Listen, the Lord did this to me uh, this is how I experienced him. This is where he met me when I was at my lowest and the Lord did this. You can argue all you want, but I experienced it. I smelt it. I felt it. I was crying and he lifted me up. Oh, this should be constantly testified to and knowing that this is a way of proclaiming his name. You see, sharing the testimonies of what God has done is a part of our missional activity. It's a part of our missional activity. It's a part of proclaiming his name throughout all the earth, proclaiming his name to the nations. He's done something for me, and I'm sharing it. Jethro hears Moses' proclamation of testimony. And he rejoices. But what's, what's beautiful is what he says when he starts to rejoice. Let's look at what Jethro says. Verses 10 to 11. Praise the Lord, Jethro said, for he has rescued you from the Egyptians and from Pharaoh. Yes, he has rescued Israel from the powerful hand of Egypt. I know now that the Lord is greater than all the other gods because he rescued his people from the oppression of the proud Egyptians. Oh, 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 Jethro is pe preaching right now, and he's a Midianite. There's a couple of things that I notice here that, 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 that I notice. And, and, and first of all, Jethro praises the Lord for what he did to somebody else. It wasn't, oh, praise the Lord what he did for Midian. He, he says, for he has rescued you from the Egyptians. And he's celebrating and he's praising God. He wasn't praising the Lord for what he did to Midian, but for what he did to Israel. You see, listen, we need to praise the Lord for what we see he do or done or did for somebody other than you. Let me, let me, say, let me say that again because some of y'all don't get it. We need to praise the Lord in front of others for what he has done for your brother, for your sister, for your friends. Praising him because this is a part of proclaiming his name. He's good. Oh, he did that for you? He's good. Praise the Lord. And this needs to be in front of people. 
Not just waiting for God to move in your life and did this for you. Oh, oh, Jephthah was speaking this morning. He proclaims his name. Speaking of names. When he says praise the Lord, this is being translated out of respect. But really it says praise Yahweh. This is God's name. This is what they, they, they've learned them as along the way. This makes it specific, especially in a place where, where there are many gods being worshipped. This makes it specific. Praise Yahweh. You know, we can talk about how good God is. Oh, God did this and God did that. And we all good to just talk in general how good God is. But the moment that we get specific and we say Jesus, the tension that enters the air, how, how awkward things just got. Because you got really specific and you started to name drop. Mm. But, but, but this, 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 this specificity is important right here when he says praise Yahweh specifically. He's greater than all the other gods. He keeps talking, he keeps talking, and, and, and I can just picture inside of my mind how Jethro's head is just whirring, and, 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 and he says, why? Because he has rescued Israel from the powerful hand of Egypt. He's rescued Israel from the powerful hand of Egypt. Like I said, Egypt was the world power of the time. They were respected among the nations. Respected for how massive they were, how powerful they were. Even when it said that, that, that Pharaoh took 600 chariots, that was 600 of his best chariots. He had way more than that. And for that time, chariots was a big deal. Like we said early in the beginning, this is a clash of powers. And I can't help think about God's intentionality and letting his people even get caught up in Egypt, the world's greatest power of the time. I started to think about, I had a, a friend by the name of Tyrone. Right. So, I, <laughs> don't call him. I made the same mistake first service. He wasn't so much of a friend, right? He was an associate. But Tyrone, Tyrone, he was short dude. With a complex. He always has something. That, them short people. What, oh, always has something to prove. But, but Tyrone was a little crazy, though. Because every time a fight was about to pop off, right? Y'all know I, I didn't grow up saved, so I have a lot of these stories. I always had these flashbacks, right? And every time a fight was about to pop off, Tyrone was a short dude, and he would intentionally look for the biggest person on the opposite side and attack them. And he had a strategy to it. If I take the biggest one down, it'll send a message to everybody else. So I can't help thinking about God's intentionality here by letting his baby get caught up with Egypt, the world's greatest power of the time. You see, if God would have done this with one of the smaller nations it could have gone unnoticed. But he, he's about his name getting proclaimed. 
Some of those smaller nations, they weren't as, as powerful, but, but Egypt falls. And then it sends ripple effects and echoes throughout all the nations. So Jethro was processing this. He knew that Egypt was huge. Like, really? All this stuff really went down? Then he says, I know now, meaning it's no longer a rumor. I investigated and I found out. I know now that the Lord, meaning specifically Yahweh, I know now that Yahweh is greater than all the other gods. All the other gods, uh, multiple gods, were common amongst the nations. But as far as Jethro was concerned, what is none of those other gods taking down Egypt? But Egypt got snuffed out? No, 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 no. This God must be greater. Yeah, multiple gods was coming among the time, but, but Israel came along and they said, listen, there's one God, and that was him showing off in Egypt. His name is Yahweh. Jethro is processing, if this is true, and I know now that it is, then the Israelites' God is greater than all the others. And he makes this statement as a Midianite priest. He keeps talking. He keeps talking. He says, because he rescued his people from the oppression of the proud Egyptians. You see, one of the things that we talked about and we keep will talking about, it's important for us even now, is the systematic idolatry of Egypt was oppressive to the people of God. This, this system of, of worshiping False God on top of false God on top of false God and all the structures that was built around it. And the God of the Israelites has just shown himself to be greater than that system of idolatry. He shows himself mightier than the compound oppression that comes from worship of multiple gods systematically. Oh, this is... Let me bring this to, to, to today because y'all would just think well, I'm just doing a history lesson. Listen, we currently live in a nation that worships many, many idols as gods. Oh, I understand the, the place where the people of God right here, right now, find themselves at. A nation that worships many idols. Worships many false gods, whether it's of power, of success, of comfort, of money, of experiences. I just got to experience it. Of health, our bodies, political idols, racial and ethnic idols, gender idols, age idols. The list goes on and on and on and culminates with self. That's, that's, that's. That's what we live in, and this, this system of idol worship creates an oppressive culture for the people of God that live in the midst of it. An oppression that, that, that hits spiritually, where, where people feel spiritually oppressed. It hits physically, where there are literal side effects of this, 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 this idolatry that affects us physically. Social, where even social functions and social realities have these byproducts of this oppression. Oh, I want us to see this, 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 this oppression that affects all of creation with a depravity that is total in its scope and reach 
an impression that is so powerful, so consistent, so pervasive, so normal, so attractive, so intertwined with the normal mundanes of everyday life that most of our hearts have been lulled asleep and don't even see the true reality of its presence. Because all we've known, we don't even have a category to compare it to. But hear this. This is important. This is where the testimonies come in because, because, because when we, the people of God, turn around and we, and we proclaim and, 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 and when people see that Jesus has truly rescued us from the, the, the powerful age of idolatry, when people see that, when they see that we've been actually made free from the oppression of this culture and the powers behind it, they, they, they get a small glimpse of the true scope and reach of God's saving power when they actually see, yeah, I just talked about how big it is, but God is way bigger. He's freed me. Our freedom is a testimony to his power, his glorious strength. But, but when people don't see and hear the stories of our freedom, they don't draw an air to hear the testimonies of what God has done. They don't draw near to hear about the one who's made us free. As a matter of fact, to them, we just look like slaves. Equally as enslaved as they are, if not more. So, so inside their minds, their logical minds, they come to the conclusion, Jesus must be a myth. What else explains the bondage? The rumors of their God's victory must have been greatly exaggerated. Listen, if Christ has truly made us free, let us proclaim his name and testify of that freedom. Let us also show and prove his authenticity by putting that freedom on display for all to see. Jethro heard the rumors and he drew near to investigate. Then he heard the eyewitness testimonies and accounts of what God had done both at a personal and communal level. And everything that he heard would all be authenticated by literally seeing free people with his very own eyes. And it sparked worship inside of him. Well, Jethro ends up staying with them that night. And the next day, he saw something that concerned him. He saw something that concerns him, like a good father-in-law and just a wise person. You see, because of his conversation with Moses the night before, the day before, and, and all the depth that, 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 that Moses went in with telling him the, the ups and downs and all the ways that God has done things, Jethro would have realized the weight that Moses had standing up in front of Mo Pharaoh. Even when Israelites were frustrated with them when things wasn't going with it the way they think it would have. Oh, the weight of leading the people through these plagues that was on Moses. All the Israelites had to do was follow. 
God even took them the opposite direction of war so that they, they didn't have to fight. And when Pharaoh attacked in the wilderness, the people, they turned to Moses, and Moses, he, 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 he went to God. Moses followed God and split the sea with his staff, and all the people had to do was walk through. When they were hungry, they went to Moses. When they were thirsty, they went to Moses. But then there's this, there starts to be a little, a little turning and a little changing there because when war came to them again, this time God let them fight. And there was something interesting happening because whenever Moses raised his hand, he was winning the fight. But when he, he, he would get weak and, and, and tired and his hand dropped, they would lose the fight. So some people noticed when Moses got weak and dropped his hands and, 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 and they, they would lose. So they decided on their own accord to help him, help him keep his hands up. And Jethro was looking at today, and now he is judging the personal disputes of thousands of people all by himself, all day long. And Jethro asks Moses a question. Dude, what are you doing? What, 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 are, you, what are you doing right now? And Moses says, well, the people, they need to hear from God. They got issues. And the thing is that in Egypt, there was, there, was, there was systems and structures, but out there in the wilderness, there wasn't none. They have no idea of the laws of God that give structure to the people of God. Basically, I need to do it all. Again, Jethro genuinely cared about Moses as, as his father-in-law. You see, when Moses ran away from Egypt back in the days, he fled and he stayed with Jethro for 40 years. Apart from being a, a priest, Jethro was a shepherd and likely the one that taught Moses how to be a shepherd. And now Jethro continues to teach Moses how to be a shepherd, but of people. And he gives words of correction and wisdom. And he starts by saying this in 18, 17 through 18. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what, are you do what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. Despite how gifted he was, despite the fact that he really was connected and in a relationship with God, him trying to do things all by himself wasn't good for any of them. For the whole community was affected by it. You all wear yourselves out by you trying to do it by yourself. He probably was thinking about the story that the Malachites and, and that there were men that, that had eyes to see Moses couldn't do it alone and had enough sense of judgment to help. And that Moses had some awesome leaders with them. And at this point in the story, the Israelites' role was going from being a passive one to an active one. They was going from being consumers to being participants in the mission of God. It wasn't just follow and don't do nothing. Now it was like, listen, you guys can be a part of it. This is why the Lord let you participate in war. 
Now we're going to have to create some leaders that help with the mission of God and, and do some things in this, this changing point. It was no longer a one-man show following God type of mission, but the people of God called together type of mission. And Jethro described the type of people that Moses used to help him, and he says that this will be health to the whole. I wanted to highlight this part because I'm, I'm praying that we, we this morning, that we hear the same thing. A, a, a call for, for those of us to move from passive to active as we enter into this next season, from passive to active, from consumer to participant. And we'll see that because you'll hear much more talk coming from us about how God is using us missionally here, right here inside this particular community. And there's this ongoing call that I pray that we hear of God saying, stop just being a consumer. Be a participant. Stop just being sort of a silent witness off to the side. But start being active in the mission and call of God. Many of us inside this room, God has called to help lead and walk inside of his mission. As we enter into communion, there's this scene that happens between Jethro's rejoicing and Jethro's giving wisdom that I want to go back to that's, that's really important. And I want to use this to set up our time in communion. It's Exodus 18 and 12. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. This is a, a really significant moment. Some people even refer to this moment as the climax of the book of Exodus. It's a really important hinge moment. You see, right now at this moment, you see Jew, Jew represented by Moses and Aaron and the Israelite elders. And you see Gentiles represented by Jethro and those that are with him. Brought together by a sacrifice, represented in Jesus, to eat a meal in the presence of God. A sacrifice. Oh, as we get ready for communion, I wanted to think about the sacrifice. The powerful move of God that has broken the bondage of oppression that we get to participate in. Even today, people of different walks of life get to come together because of a sacrifice. Jesus. And he is the food that we get to eat together in the presence of God. 
is communion. The bread that represents his body that was given as a sacrifice. And the juice that represents his blood that was given as a sacrifice so that different people would come together in the glory of God and be able to eat in the presence of God. And it's a symbol of this table that spread throughout eternity. As you, you come to the table today, I want you to, I'm asking if you'll consider, consider a few things. Jethro was investigating a rumor. You see, people have been hearing the, the rumors for over 2,000 years now. The rumors of, of, of what this table represents, over 2,000 years. And, but I want you to, to just consider man, how many times and how many people have heard your personal testimony, what God has done for you. I want you to consider how many times have people heard the communal testimony of how God has united you to a family despite the differences. This is this family that's rooted in Jesus. How many times have you went out of your comfort zone and shared that? I want you to contemplate. When they see you, do they see a person living as a slave to the same systems that they're enslaved to? Or do they see a free person to authenticate everything that they just heard? I want you to contemplate. What would it look like to move from passive consumer to active participant? even as we consider God's mission for us here at Ahambra. God is good. The tables are open. Let's eat a meal together in his presence and then worship. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.